0: Let me give you a few Watoto Mentos from the, from the journey. Um, we were privileged to have two young men and one of the um, tech guys stay with us last night. And um, I found out they can consume a Whopper pretty stinking quick. And we found out, I'm, I'm really glad, Ginny's such a better host than me. She had mentioned we may want to find out they're hungry, but they should have had supper, but we'll need to find out. And, you know, I totally forgot about it. And so she said, you know, would you, are you hungry? And they said, yes. And, and now that was, you know, that was kind of strange, you know. And um, so, unless they're this, of course, then that's always, you know. But anyway, it's, yeah, it's 10 o'clock at night, right. So anyway, and so the bottom line was, they wanted to go to Burger King. So we, we loaded them up with um, barbecue bacon Whopper. Yeah, I'm going, I don't know they make such a thing, you know. I'm sure it'll kill you if you eat one. I'm pretty sure of that. But anyway, um, and so they ate, they wolfed those down, and we had this moment at the, at the table. And Judy, I still cannot remember if it was last night or this morning. But the tech guy began just talking about um, how much he counted as a privilege, to be with these two young men. He stays with those two young men the entire journey. And to be a mentor, to teach them of Jesus, the importance of them knowing Christ deeper in their relationship, to be a father figure for them uh, because there was not a father figure. It's just a real refreshing moment um, there with the team. And then in a a humorous way, this morning we beat them up a little bit. I think they were probably awake in the room, but we, we beat them up. Yeah, yeah, it came out kind of weird. But anyway, so we went on downstairs, and we got... How I many of you know what Alexa is? Alexa, it's the little tech thing, you know, you talk to, and you say, Alexa, do this, and it does that. Yeah, okay, all right, well, okay, well, we got one of those. I got one of those for Christmas. And so um, I said, you know, Alexa, play music, you know, and it's playing some music. And so here comes Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was the, the guy with the white pants on this morning. He danced at Toward the end. one of the tall guys. He's 12 years old. And, um, and so he comes down, and he goes... I heard you talking to Alexa and I said you know Alexa and he goes oh yes we know Alexa and so and he starts going Alexa do this Alexa do that Alexa do this and I'm going this is like my grand. we've got Rebecca one of the smaller ones for her something birthday or something and the grandkid, her kids my grandkids drive her nuts and it's these kids are kids and they thought that this machine would talk to them was the coolest thing but it really had a difficult time with the accent they, they didn't get some of it. They did not get some of it. And then, and then little Joshua, about this tall, looks at me and says something, can I, and something. And I, you know, I didn't get it. And so three tries. And I just, and I said, Jeremiah, you've got to tell me what he's saying. He goes, he wants to watch Tom and Jerry i mean and and, i mean we turned that on for them i went to youtube and found an episode and they were just both the 12 year old and the eight-year-old were glued i said what a difference in culture that is and the last thing i want to share with you is what i tried to say at the end i hope i made it clear it's just how authentic what you saw this morning was um it's not just a performance it's not just a show You know, we, those of us who went to Uganda, we saw the exact same joy and the exact same worship in a village sitting on top of a hill with kids wearing rags or nothing at all. And all they had was drums and they had very little to eat. And the the worship was authentic. They just simply have the joy of the Lord. And what you saw this morning was authentic and real. And I pray it was a blessing. And I just want to say thank you again for being such a great church. I thank David. I think David did a great job hosting them, taking care of all the details that he'd be taking care of. But thank you for being a church like Dorsville the host homes, but just enjoying them and welcoming them and loving on them this morning. Um, it was very, very, very refreshing. So amen. And I think we get them about every two years, Lord willing, the creek don't rise. So I hope that happens. I think they're in the country every year. Someone asked, Uh, Will they come back? That team will not come back. Every child is allowed one time, one tour, um, and that's all. And I like this. Um, Anthony told me that the fact that they're on the team is not based on skill or performance. They're not auditioned for the team based on talent. Their heart and and, and, and the way they fit into the family there, they earn the right to go on this, but it's not musically oriented. Um, they are there because of, of the way they've proven themselves there at the home. And so I thought that was very authentic and real. So thank you for being a gracious home, it, a great, gracious church and home. It was very, very awesome. All righty. So Watoto memos for another two years. All right. So how many of you know a guy named George Frederick Root? Yeah, I thought that might be the case. Well, I'll help you, David, because he was named after George Frederick Handel. Handel, 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 Handel. Okay? That's who he's named after. Okay? Now, does the date 1864 mean anything to you in relation to George Frederick Root? All right, okay, okay, okay. Does the song... Tramp, tramp, tramp. Mean anything? Uh, wait, wait. somebody's saying yes. I what? What? That you know what? Now, I would assume that is correct. I. It was a Civil War marching song, and <laughs> can you name the other top nine songs that year? <laughs> Yeah, well, it was written by this guy. In fact, he was so, he, he was more of a composer and he was actually embarrassed. So he would sign songs like this one, Wenzel. He would sign Wenzel. And like I said the name of the song was Tramp, Tramp, Tramp. And it was an encouraging song, a marching song. And it was often sung in prison of war camps in the Union side in the hopes that it meant the rescue was coming, that the troops were coming to rescue them out of the prison camps. Now, all of that you're going. Okay, you know, that's really wonderful, Brother Dwayne. I really came to church to learn about a little bit of history. But what about these words? Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, well, that is the tune, Tramp, Tramp, Tramp is the tune that an author later used just a few years after uh, George Frederick Root died. This song, these words were written for that song. It remained a popular melody in that that time. And the song we love today, Jesus Loves Little Children, is that same melody. And what you may not know is that song has several verses that go like this. Jesus calls the children dear, come to me and never fear. For I love the little children of the world. I will take you by the hand, lead you to a better land, for I love the little children of the world. Jesus is a shepherd true, and he'll always stand by you, for he loves the little children of the world. He's a savior great and strong, and he'll shield you from the wrong, for he loves the little children of the world." I I am coming, Lord, to Thee, and Your soldier I will be. um, For You love the little children of the world, and Your cross I'll always bear, and for You I'll do and dare. For You love the little children of the world. And the irony, I think, probably of that is, is the song, though on the Union side, and I can't believe it's Southern I'm fixing to say this, but on the side of right, definitely the right side, because of the slavery issue... Later on, that one song that was used in the Civil War uh, was also used to talk about Jesus loving the little children, red, yellow, black, and white, and how incredible that is. God loves all people. Amen? God loves all people. Now, another little bit of history, and this I don't have a date on, but some time ago, probably, well, first off, when I came here in 2000, the church didn't have a slogan. And so I remember sitting down at my desk and trying to come up with a slogan, and I came up with two that I remember, and both of them, Brent, said, no. <laughs> okay? That's the truth. You know, the first one was this, Door spill: distinctively different. I thought it was good. No, not, that, that won't work. Okay? And then I came up with Door spill worth the drive. Yeah, it didn't go over with him either, and so those died, and so we were in Nashville about a year later, so we're now we're talking about 2001 or two, uh, in Nashville, and we're driving along, and Three Rivers Baptist Church, I think it was called at that time, was located on the um, Bradley Parkway there over by the old Opryland, and Three Rivers had a slogan, and it said, one people, one faith, one heart. And I said, oh, I like that. Let's borrow that. And so we borrowed that for probably four or five years. It was on our stationery. We have the logo still today, um, the the little emblem. But we we don't have that slogan anymore. But we had one people, one faith, one heart. But that wasn't ours. And then Judy was having a conversation with me one day. And I'm not sure the nature of the conversation. I can't remember. We were talking about the church and talking about who the church was and you know, things that we were doing, and she says, you know, Dwayne, it's because every person matters, and I don't know if you know that or not, I'm not sure you know that's our slogan, but that day, as your pastor, I grabbed a hold of that, and if you watch the sign out here, you see the time and temperature, you see DBC, and you see these words, because every person matters. And I have told you all of that to tell you that God does, in fact, love the little children, the red, the yellow, the black, and the white. And we're going to go tonight and look at scriptures, how God cares particularly about the orphans and the widows. And yes, this was sparked before I went on vacation because I knew what today was going to be like. How that? how that every, do you understand, every child there, most of them are orphans, the vast majority of them are orphans, all of them come from fractured and compromised homes. And look at who they are and what God has done in their lives. Because God has a special place in the heart for the orphans and for the widows. But in fact, He loves the little children of the world. Every person matters. And if you've noticed something, hopefully when you look at who we are, Donnie, as a church, you see that. You see that. Um, Not every church is that way. I've heard a lot of church slogans and I've seen a lot of churches but not every church exists for the fact that, that God's kingdom loves every person. And let me again, again, commend you for over the years, uh, whether it be back to school or Judgment House, you picked a ministry, a mercy corner. So many of those, we reached out to the compromised, to the disenfranchised, um, to, to regardless of race, you know, um, no matter how fractured the home is, we have reached out to these people and attempted to love them Because as a church, I think I can say with confidence, we believe that every person matters. And that is so important to God. Now, listen to what I just said. Because you may be going, is this just like a talk? No. It's so important to God because every person matters to God. Someone say amen. The, the the people who come in our church and they have more tattoos than Carter's got pills, they've paint all over their bodies you know, they matter. The ones with all the piercings, they matter. The poorest person that you can imagine, the ones that Donnie meets and says, well, yeah, we'll help pay your electric bill, but I want you to come and hear, basically, they don't know this, we want you to come to worship service, and it's not just come to worship service, we want them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Donnie shares it, and then I try every message to make sure we have the gospel included in every message. If we know someone's going to be there on a Wednesday night, I change the message to make sure that the gospel's included Those people all matter. Uh, The folks, no matter how broken they are, they matter. No matter how big their sin list is, all that matters. It matters to God, and what matters to God should matter to us. What matters to God should matter to us. And that is something we've got to fight for. Because, again, it's not, even in church culture, it's not always acceptable to embrace people. It's awful easier to embrace yourself rather than other people. Now, in the book of James, in the book of James one twenty seven, there's a powerful scripture that I'm sure you're, well, you're probably familiar with, but I really want you to grab a hold of it because it really needs to grab a hold of our hearts. You know, the word of God, if, if we grab our Bibles, but the Bible doesn't grab us, it's useless. Let me say that again. If we grab our Bibles and the Bible doesn't grab us, then it's useless. So let this verse, like you've heard it for the first time tonight, soak into your heart in what it means. Here's what it says. Now, James, remember now, let's just do a little little Bible lesson here. Don't forget, James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Same mother, different father. Same mother, different father. But the half-brother of Jesus Christ. That's the James that is right here. James, who thought his brother was crazy, Jesus was crazy. Did not become a believer until after the resurrection. Up until the resurrection, he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And I say when someone predicts his own death and resurrection and pulls it off, you kind of go with that. And that's what convinced James that his brother was the Son of God. James writes this, pure and undefiled religion. Pure and undefiled. Um, I tried to get a different take of the word. I looked it up in the, in the Strongs. And the word pure there, it's what you kind of expect it to mean. It means clean. So clean and the word undefiled also means untainted. So clean and untainted religion. Clean and untainted religion. But here's what's unique. Well, first off, how many times does the word Bible appear in the Bible? None. How many times does the word rapture occur in the Bible? None. Okay? All right. Religion is one of those words, obviously it appears in the Bible, but it is a rare word in the Bible. It occurs four times. It occurs twice in James, once in the book of Acts, and once in the book of Colossians. And that is all. Religion is a rare word in the Bible, and I think it's because religion is a dangerous word. Because religion can become a God-replacer. Religion can become a God-replacer. And that's what I was trying to say when the average church exists for itself. When the average church exists for what it can give us, what can it do for my children? What can it do for my youth? What can it do for me as as an older adult? What can it do to entertain me? How can the the worship entertain me? How can the sermons be not too long, not too short, uh, enough meat, but not too deep and not too shallow? How can it all be for me? And that's what religion is all about. It's a dangerous word because it's a God-replacing word. So understand that that its rarity is probably intentional. And the way James uses it here, he's going to define for us what kind of untainted and clean religion, what what does that look like? And he says this this religion before our God and Father is this. This this is what clean and untainted religion looks like. Because you know what? I'm going to show you in just a moment. We can really muck this up. We can mess it up. All right, watch this, watch this. It is one to care or to look for, look after orphans and widows. In other words, what grabs God's attention, what what when God says, well, if you really I don't I'm I'm sure God would exactly say this. I, you know, I'm not sure I really like the word religion, but if you insist on using the word religion, here's what I would define as pure and untainted religion: that you have to watch out for orphans and for widows. You have to watch out for the compromised one, the disenfranchised ones, the defenseless ones. In this culture, you understand, you saw that some in the, in the video this morning. A widow back in those days, if they did not have family, there was no government support. In fact, we heard that in the Dominican Republic. A guy, the, our guy was talking to us about one of the excursions we went on, was telling us in the DR, there's no welfare support. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't work, you don't eat. Well, in the days of Jesus, when James was writing this... The widows had family or they had nothing. They had family or they had nothing. And orphans often were simply set out to die. To die. God loves the defenseless. God watches out for the defenseless. God has a special place in his heart for the defenseless. That's one reason I love Watoto. Whatever we did this morning financially, I do not know what we did financially. But whatever we did... You know, that is the heart of God. Because this ministry, this organization watches out. And, and yes, it's not widows, but the single mothers. I was so proud this morning when Faith uh, said, Papa, I want to sponsor. I, I wish I could sponsor one of these. And so I said, Well, you ought to do it. You know, you ought to do it. And uh, she came back and said, Papa, look. And she had taken a card, and she did not take a child, but she took a, a single mom with three kids. And she's going to sponsor... Actually, I think mom and dad's on that too. But she's going to sponsor that single mom. Again, disenfranchised individual struggling in another part of the world. And God says religion that 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 is pure and untainted is when you reach out and love the defenseless ones in this world. Now, he goes on and says, not only we watch out for them, but it's in their distress, it's in their suffering that we watch out for them. Now, in case you're going, yeah, but... Well, here's the yell, but James says in the last part of that verse, and to keep oneself un- t- unstained by the world, uh, from the world. So, so, so I, we get that the holiness. Listen, listen, holiness has its place. Someone say amen, because sometimes we need to be reminded of that. We can't get so loosey goosey with the world that sin becomes acceptable in our lives. I love grace, but don't you ever use grace for a license to sin. Paul distinctly said, do not do that. God forbid, he said in a very strong statement. So I love grace. Holiness has its place. But notice God puts people even more important than the way we live. We should have a holy conduct, James says, but we should have a heart for people. Now, what does it look like when this doesn't happen in a church? What does it look like when religion becomes more important than relationships? What does it look like when leaning on practice rather than leaning on God? Well, in Isaiah chapter 1, and I'm really not going to really... My purpose is really not is to teach through this, this long passage of Scripture, but, but I think it will give you a painting of what does it look like when we lose the heart of God and put practice in its place? Remember... Religion is what? I want you to take this home. Religious is a God replacer. What does it look like when religion replaces God? What does it look like in a church? And you need to keep your eyes out for this in your view of church. We need to, as a corporate body, we need to keep ourselves in view of what does it look like if our church shifts toward being more religious and more about people and God? What does it look like? Well, here's the story. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 11, god you can hear clearly the indignation in God's voice. What are all your sacrifices to me, he asked, asked the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls and lambs and male goats. Now again... Keep in mind, the people have replaced relationship and dependence on God with religious practices. And trust me, churches in America do that like crazy. They they have so much of their ritual and religion and practice that God doesn't even show up and they don't even know it. I know God's everywhere, but you get the point. He goes on and says this. When you come to appear before me, who requires this of you... Who asked you to come, he says. He goes on, Who requires this from you? This trampling of my courts. Stop bringing useless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of solemn assemblies. I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. He says, All of this festive stuff is saturated in iniquity. I can't stand it, he says. And churches that practice religion in that manner, God would say that about them. God would say that about us. We've got to fight for being right with God and doing what God's called us to do. Verse 14, I hate, God speaking, I hate your new moons and prescribed festivals. They have become a burden to me. I am tired of putting up with them. When you lift your hands in prayer, I will refuse to look at you. Even if you offer countless prayers, I will not listen. Why? Your hands are covered with blood. Now, what does that mean? It means that the Israel people, again, have replaced religion with relationship with religion. Okay? And they had stopped defending the defenseless. They had stopped defending the defenseless. And I honestly believe that God would say some of these things about churches today, whether they're in Canada or America or New England or Dorisville or wherever it might be. No matter what the location is, churches that practice this kind of religion, these things God would say about that church. Now, here's the solution. Wash yourselves. Cleanse yourselves. Remove your evil deeds from my sight. And then he puts it really blunt. Stop doing evil. And in this case, in this case, the evil may be more sins of omission than commission. You follow that? More sins of omission, not doing what is right, more than doing what is wrong. Omission sins are as serious as commission sins. And when we don't love and we don't forgive and we're bitter and we don't care about the person down the road that might be hungry and we don't care about the people, you know, who are hurting and brokenhearted, those are sins of omission. And they're very serious, Terry. They're very serious. So it goes on and says this. Learn to do what is good. Learn to do what is good. Notice the word, does the word jump off at you? Learn. Learn to do what is good. It's, it's again, something we have to fight for. It's something we have to fight for. Churches in America have to learn to be the church that God wants them to be. It would seem like it would be natural, but so often we're so infiltrated with religion in America, the culture of religion, that we really have to learn to be. You know, going back to, I, I wanted to read this verse to you. Acts chapter 3, verse number 19, and it says this, you know, repent. Because when he says those words there, wash yourself and cleanse yourself. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And revival will come to, uh, to the churches in America when repentance comes to the churches of America and when the churches once again get the heart of God. That's when revival will come. We do not need to be more religious. We need to be more loving and more godly. And God is? God is? Got it. It's so huge. It's so important. Learn to do what is good. Seek justice. Now watch, watch how this leads in. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct the oppressor. Defend the rights of the fatherless. There's the orphan. Plead the widow's cause. God says, if you want to bring revival back, start having my heart. You know, I wrote down these words. God's heart has always been for those who can't help themselves. Can I say it again? God's heart has always been for those who can't help themselves. Ask me how I know that. Because of me and you. When we were dead and trespasses and sins, Marcia. when we were dead and trespassing and sinned, when we could do nothing for ourselves spiritually, Christ died for us. God has always, God's heart has always been for the helpless, for those who cannot help themselves, and every one of us could not help ourselves until the gospel came and gave us you know, salvation through God's amazing grace. Do you follow that? Do you track that? That's why what Matt and Bethany does in Central Asia is so important. Because those people are trapped in a a dead, lifeless religion. And they cannot help themselves. The only help that can help is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's it's true in Harrisburg. It's true in the Dominican Republic. It's true in Nicaragua. It's true where we go. People cannot help themselves spiritually. It takes the power of the gospel. So the bottom line is this. Some people were bringing this as Mark chapter 10. Some people were bringing little children to him. Now understand, little children had no rights. Again, little children were defenseless. Little children had had no no uh legal rights or moral rights or, or social rights. So they were bringing little children so he might touch them, and what did the disciples do? Do you remember? In Mark 10, they rebuked them. You know why? He's too important. You bring a child to our our rabbi, he's too important. Because a child was a no one. And Jesus, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He was filled with righteous anger. Let that soak in. When his 11, 12 guides who followed him, said, we have no time for people like you, Jesus got fired up. I just wonder if sometimes God gets fired up when the church in America says, we don't have time for you. He said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And then it's like he says so we can get something from him. He says in verse 15, I assure you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. We have something to learn from the disenfranchised. It reminds us, in case we forget, it reminds us of who we once were. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, and now I'm alive. Every person who walks through the doors there or walks through the doors here if they don't know Jesus was once like us. Whether we were 9 years old, 15 years old, whether we were a Sunday school girl, Benna, or whether we'd never gone to church. We all were lost in our sins. And for in our case, Jesus reached down and changed us. So that's why we've got to stay on track. That's why we've got to remain focused on the heart of God, and the heart of God is for those who can't help themselves because spiritually no one can. In James chapter 2, verse 12, he finishes up and says this. And it's just a general reminder. James chapter 2, verse 12. Speak and act. Speak and act. Let your speech and let your actions as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. Let me read it again. Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. Not the law of death, but the law of freedom. As I said earlier, I am so grateful for God's amazing grace. But I need to understand something. I am still accountable for my actions. Not the penalty of sin, but for my actions. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10, Paul clearly says, "We shall all stand before the bema seat. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ giving an account of our lives, account of our deeds." So, he says, "Judgment is for judgment is without mercy." to the one who has not shown mercy. Do you remember a scripture we talked about not too long ago where Jesus said, if you don't forgive, your father won't forgive you? Remember that scripture? Talking about Peter, how many times? He said, if we don't forgive, how many times will, you know, your father won't forgive you? And I said, I'm not sure what that means, but I don't like it. It doesn't sound good to me. Judgment is without mercy for the one who hasn't shown mercy. Somehow, and I don't know what it means that that judgment is of Christ, and my salvation is not the issue. But when I stand before Christ, I'm going to be held accountable whether I showed mercy or not merciful. And as a church, whether we showed mercy or didn't show mercy. And then he says these wonderful words mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen, and amen, and amen. And finally, Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus says these words Go and learn what this means. There's that learn word again. Learn again. Go and learn what this means. I. Desire, mercy, mercy, not sacrifice. Go and learn what this means. Jesus said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I, deserve, I desire mercy, Bill, and not religion. I desire mercy and not ritual. God's heart is for those who do not help themselves. And the power of the gospel is the only thing that can. I didn't come to call the righteous, Jesus said, but sinners. So in an inadvertent way, I think inadvertent, inadvertent, we did something good today. I think we... Fulfilled James chapter 1, verse 27. Care for the orphans and the widows. Again, every dollar we gave today will help care for orphans and, in a sense, the widows in Uganda. And that's such a really good thing. But here's the good news. It's not just then. I want you to understand something. We've got something over the years that we got to guard, and that is a heart after God's heart to love people, to love people. No matter what they look like, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white, which I think is kind of funny. One of the things I read said how that is not politically correct anymore. Go figure. Red or yellow, black or white, they're precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of his world. And you know why? You don't know why? Because every person matters. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to share this tonight. And again, I want to thank you, Father, for our church. Oh, and I know you know it, but I want to make sure they understand it. We know we're not perfect. We're so far from it, it's ridiculous. But somehow, God, in our journey together over the years, you've honed us and helped us to be a church after your heart, welcoming people that other churches may not, loving people that others may not. May not. And we know that's all you, it's not us. So but my prayer is, Father, tonight for us is that in the coming days and weeks and months and years, help us to guard that. Help us please not to lose that. Help us not become Isaiah chapter one and verse number eleven with all that religious stuff and thinking somehow that pleases you. But in fact, you make it clear, it displeases you. Help us to keep serving. Help us to keep giving. Help us to keep loving. Help us to keep looking for ways to do that. Help us, Father, to in our daily lives, as we walk through life, to love. And as a corporate body, to love. Because you love people, because every person matters. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.